Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoiseshack podcast. Just a couple of things before we kick off. We are delighted to welcome the Fresh Batch podcast to the Tortoiseshack and it's available right now on patreon.com forward slash Tortoiseshack and the podcast is coming out shortly. It's with Damien Dempsey and it is an absolute belter. So if you aren't a member, jump on the link that's at the top of the podcast right now. Join us to get access to all of our podcasts in one consolidated feed entirely plea free so you don't have to listen to me plea. But plea I must because it is really, really difficult to stay independent, to stay ad-free, to stay away from corporate interests. And by the way, on that feed, you will hear the podcast we just had with Rory Hearn, who is seeking the nomination with the Social Democrats to run for the European Parliament. Myself and Martin sat down with our friend Rory and we had, I would say, conflict with a small C as to why he's doing it, what his, uh, what his values are and what it means for the future of Reboot Republic going forward. That podcast is available right now on patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. So while you listen to this podcast, please click the link and help us keep going in 2024, which is the year of elections. We are really looking forward to it, but we need your support. We, we absolutely cannot keep going without your support. Independent media matters more now than ever. And yes, we're a small platform, but we punch well above our weight. So one more time, patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. I'm shutting up now. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope, and I'm your host, Rory Hearn. Rory Hearn, even, and delighted to be joined um, back in the podcast by one of our more regular guests, Tanya Ward, who's the chief executive of the Children's Rights Alliance, and we're going to be discussing the Children's Rights Alliance annual report card for the government um, and children in Ireland. Is the government keeping its promises 2024? Tanya, it's great to have you back again. Yeah, good to be back. You're absolutely delighted and raring to go, I see. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, it's great check. I think I've checked, we've checked in with this programme for government. I think we've checked in every year on how, how the government is doing on, on the programme for government. We have actually checked in every year. And this is probably the last time if a general election does happen uh, before the end of the year, this might be the last time we talk about how this government is doing on this programme for government. It's highly, highly likely. I can't see how. What are we now? February. Um, oh, it's, it's theoretically possible that you might get one more in, but it seems very, very unlikely. Tanya, children, it's a mixed picture. Um, it's not It's not all yeah. negative. Um, and maybe we'll start yeah. with the, the good things that are happening. And, and of course, again, I think with all this, it's always really important. And, and I think people sometimes don't realise this or don't we don't think about it enough that when often we say the government, we're actually talking about uh, the public service. And all public, you know, lots yeah, of public servants right. and public service and health, education, housing. And so when we say the government is doing a, doing a good job, it's generally public servants who are, you know, doing the, the really hard work. But of course, there's an overall policy frame, which, you know, which directs um, um, policy. And, and when you have a government who has been in power for uh, almost, you know, four years now, you know, they, the idea being a government starts in its term ideally and tries to shift things um but it is interesting when we look to future government and how things will change and how things do change. And maybe you could give a little bit of reflection 
on that, maybe, you know, how do governments change things over time? Um, but maybe let's just start with, yeah, some of the positives, some of the, the good things that are happening for yeah, children. In yeah, Ireland. yeah. I, I, I mean, the first off with the report card, and this is one of the things for people to get to grips with, it actually tracks the promises that the government has made to children, not the ones we would necessarily like to see. And, and that's why I often say to uh, people in the sector, it's really important is the programme for government is so important for what, what politicians are going to do. And we've often internally thought about and members would say you should do a different report card on what we want to see change. But the politicians pay attention in this area because they are elected by the people on a certain mandate. They agree a programme for government and they want to be able to say that they have delivered at the end of the day. And and to be honest, the more interaction I have with politicians, the more I do believe Many of them are there for the right reasons. They actually want to make a difference. They want to look back when their time is finished in politics and think, yes, I actually made a difference in politics. And I think it's important to be hopeful about the future um, around that. You can get very cynical the longer you're you're advocating and lobbying for children. But I I, I am very hopeful uh, about the future. What's interesting about where we are in this programme for government is you you can actually see some really good changes coming through four years in. So, you know, the government does get the best grades it has since we, we started during this period. And what you're seeing is uh, certainly in the universal services, those public services, some things really taking hold. And to be honest, it's probably surpassed our own expectations in the Children's Rights Alliance. So if you take um, school books, for example, and, and education, and I think when we look back on this particular government, I think educational disadvantage will be one of the areas where we look back and think, yes, actually something very significant happened here because more broadly you have an investment in the DESH programme, which is focused on areas of disadvantage. These schools get extra funding and resources. Um, you see an expansion of the school completion programme and more education welfare officers being made available. And what's interesting about free school books, like when we, we walk into this programme for government, they, uh, the government committed to having a pilot. And really, you know, there was a million euros and, and the previous government found a million euros to do a pilot. And it was nearly out of the back of the sofa kind of thing, you know, mm, in, in terms yeah. of where it came from. But what you see at this stage is, uh, and particularly the biggest expansion of the free school books program happens in, in, in this budget. So an extra 67 million is being made available to extend free school books to primary, uh, to, 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 uh, first year, second years and third years. And they start to be the really expensive years when it comes to school costs for families. Like the, the school books uh, when requests when it comes in is often a crisis for loads of families. So yeah. uh, what this means is, you know, it's an extra €175 Euros for those families. And we know this works because SVP told us when the government extended free primary school books, uh, they actually got less people looking for help with school costs. So that's a really good indicator into what's happening for families. The other thing that's very significant is in the area of early years. Um, you know, the government has, 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 has really reached a billion in terms of investment. Now, many people in the sector still won't be happy with that and, and rightfully yeah. so because yeah. if you're a small um, provider you're you're struggling for, for lots of different reasons but it is a very significant investment year on year because politicians have a tendency sometimes to go oh we did that you know we put the 200 300 million in and early years needs that nearly every year to actually catch up in terms of investment 
But, but I, what was I, I would challenge you about last year? Sorry, yeah. sorry, Tanya. Yeah, go on. Yeah. No, I would challenge just on the child what care was, one. Uh, oh, sorry, yeah. you want, you make your point in that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, come on. Yeah. No, just in yeah. Terms so of- I tell you what was significant about last year is the they introduced um, the first investment for uh, a desh type program for early years. Now that the evidence tells us that's the single most important thing a government can do uh, if they want to address child poverty. They, they only put four point five million in, but even getting it on the budget is important. And this year they need to put an additional fifty five million into it to make that program really deliver what it needs to do. It will get. It'll have a, a like there there are shells of evidence about if you put in these wraparound supports for young children who are experiencing disadvantage, they will go on to do well in school. They'll go on to get a better job. They'll go on to have a house. They'll go on to have a longer life. Like the, 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 the connection between a program like this and the long-term impact is, is really huge. Yeah, no, and you know, the evidence is a hundred percent there in terms of that and, and particularly being engaging children, um, from you know disadvantaged backgrounds and, and you know difficult situations and and in terms of being able to engage them in early years and supports as you say and and early interventions around speech and language around all those things they really have a massive lifetime changing impact and that's absolutely true it's great to see that investment and and we know i think that the thing is that on the one hand yes that is great but we know much more is needed um, and I know your point earlier about saying, well, this is comparing to what, you know, government committed to and therefore not necessarily ideally what we'd want to do. But on the wider question of, of early years, education and childcare, we are still so far away from a universal system. And really, we need that universal system urgently because, you know, year, you know, we saw this year the, this, the system essentially closed for a few days Um in terms of the early years and, you know, direct experience in this, you know, with kids going to, um, you know, so to affected early you, years. affected you directly. Yeah, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and needing it and, you know, I haven't, you know, have children through the system in the last, you know, number of years seeing it that, you know, I, I talk, you know, the, to, to the early years, you know, educators, the childcare workers, you know, the, the providers and the system is broken. It is utterly broken. And you probably have, you know, you have a certain amount of for-profit ones who are probably still functioning, but the not-for-profit, which are the majority, are really, they're just lasting on, on a wing and a prayer. And I think that there's a failure to realise how broken that, that system is and that there's a, the level of investment that's needed rapidly to turn that into a universal one, which we could do. And, and that's the kind of other side of it. We're he- edging towards it. But my concern is that the damage that will be done, the loss of you know, um, the workers who are there who are not going to stay, and obviously they face wider t- issues in terms of housing costs. But it's like, I feel a bit frustrated on that one in terms of where we need to get to yeah. quickly. I don't know, what yeah. do you think? The, I mean, I think the, 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 the possibly the issue is is that we, we the international evidence is telling us from mainland, I'd say mainland Europe, not from the UK, yeah. is that a not-for-profit universal public system is that delivers the best outcomes for children. Yeah. What the government have tried to do with the particular approach that they've adopted, the funding model approach they've adopted was, I suppose they, they, they tried not to flip the system, but they tried to control the market with the approach they took. So uh, affordability is a massive issue. So 
free fees, the issues, uh, uh, freeze on fees. So we would support that. Yeah. Then they're they're trying to invest in core costs, but the problem is is how do you do that when you have a very small provider versus a very big provider? And of course, the, there's evidence the big providers were making big profits. There's even evidence, Rory, in that protest that happened, there was people making big profits on that protest. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. There's only, I mean, they're trying something new and trying to control and regulate the market. Um, uh, but I, 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 we still have to see the, whether that's working as the effects. I mean, we prefer to move towards a public model um, you know, why Why aren't our, I, I mean, I think the next government, what it needs to look at is really grasping the nettle and taking on the staff as employees yeah. of the state, the way teachers yeah. are. It's the only way to protect, I mean, they are the single most important way to deliver a quality experience for children is to make sure you have a qualified, trained staff that are paid well, that don't leave their jobs, where you don't have staff turnover children get the most they develop these good close relationships from, from by people and they really blossom um Absolutely. under their care and the problem is that the state is trying to get to that place but i think the system even the system at the moment the union's trying doing their best trying to get the pay up and they're in this agreement proce- process with with ibec and ibec and another representative organization and i just wonder do we need to actually get to the point where the state actually pays the staff directly if we want to get the best outcomes for children oh, but yeah. a lot of money has gone into the system right like the, the, it's really clear but I'm, I'm, i think they need to look at actually is there another way to actually even improve and enhance what they're doing at the moment and i hear what you're saying i mean some of those small providers are really struggling and they probably need a higher level of subsidization to keep open is probably exactly. what they need because yeah. children you know they really benefit from being in a very small family type situation, and some of those providers are doing that. That's they my are. kids were in a yeah. were in a crash like that. They loved it. They still talk about the staff there, um, but that crash unfortunately is closed uh, for fire reasons. To be honest, um, yeah, uh, and, but that's and not related for, to, again, for pay to reasons. But I, I, that's related yeah. again to investment. You know, some of them are closing; they can't invest in their buildings. Their you know, those sort yeah. of things. But listen, no, I think that's a really important one and definitely one for the next government, I think, you know, to really put that centrally yeah. um, in terms of making that, uh, you, know, you know, solving that and putting that public. And I think it's, you know, again, it's a bit like health as well when you have this, and, and housing no different, um, that when you have this kind of part private, part public, a lot of money can be pumped in, but the private sucks it out through profits. And, and you know, and you don't have accountability yeah. where money is going to, um, whereas we look at our education system, primary and secondary, it's so clear in terms of where money is going and wh- what is being invested. And um, and, I, and I think that that's a big issue. I just want to move on because I'm conscious um, we want to try and get yeah. through as much as we can. Uh, maybe one more positive and then we'll go to a couple of the, the big issues around housing and mental health that are have so much to be done on them. Yeah, I mean, another positive is food poverty. So food poverty is affecting like a lot of families, including working families, to be honest. So we interact with, um, we have a food poverty program uh, that we we, we uh, granted out about 300,000 euros just before Christmas. And so what we're hearing from the organisations working with those families is a lot of them are working. What seems to be eating the household income is bills or top-up payments if they're on HAP. 
So those kind of programs are really important to just act as a safety net for those families. But obviously their incomes need to increase from work or from direct payments from from the state or we need to control the cost of housing and that because a lot of these measures are, are, are trying to deal with the effects of housing. So I did another area where probably the government surpassed our expectations. So if you saw our pre-budget submission, the government did far more than we asked them to do, um, where they extended uh, hot school meals to um, nearly every uh, ne- nearly every primary school in Ireland. That's very significant because half of ch- less than half of children in poverty are in non non desh schools now because the desh program ha- has expanded. So you are getting to a much f- a bigger group of of children and young people. And when you talk to families, it does help them with the school costs, the daily costs, and it helps children perform better in school. It actually helps with retention uh, if the school can get a good provider um, and do it right. So, you know, these, the free school books, the, the free hot school meals, they're, they're all available in other countries in Europe. They're part of the school day. So you can kind of see what Ireland is doing. Yeah. It's starting to kind of uh, build the universal services but that Tanya, actually how, we know how, that how, are tried and tested and work for families. Yeah. How did those figures though, uh, relate to we've seen the rise in deprivation um amongst children in the recent years from you know it was 18.9% in 2020 up to 19.9 almost a fifth of children affected by deprivation i know deprivation covers different issues um but we have seen a rise in recent years so I, I think, so it's always hard to link exactly, you know, what initiative uh, impacts on, on the figures because mm. how those figures are generated is this household survey yeah. and the families answer the numbers of questions. And two of them actually relate to food and one yeah. is around, uh, can you get fish or a protein on the table once or twice a week? And um, a lot of families w- will probably still be saying, no, they can't, <laughs> e- yeah. even that. But the child might be getting it from school. So that, that bit, bit is hard to connect. But mm. I think some of these measures, what, what they are doing in the round, if you take um, the school books, for example, what it does mean is that families have more money to spend on the other things. So the credit union household survey, when that, what goes a bit uh, deeper about, about school costs, what you find out is families spend all the money on the school costs and it means their children, they don't get to go to hurling, swimming, yeah. all those extra things. They miss out on all the extra because they just, the money's not there. So if you can take away those other costs that are stressing families out, it means they have more resources and money for those other activities as well. And in fact, the government does subsidise some of these to a good degree, but c- could probably do a lot more to make sure that children have, you know, get to have the same experience as any other kid and particularly those on on higher incomes. So, but the reason I suppose we advocate for these measures is um, there's a recommendation from uh, the European Commission called Investing in Children and that was built on 10 years of research from throughout Europe about what are the measures that work and these school books, school meals, income, play, recreation, all of these things have been found to be really important in, in supporting the development of, of, of and ensuring children can reach their full potential. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I think, you know, that is, again, you know, the question of universal, these services becoming universal as well um, and, and interventions, I think, is a big question as well. And it's a wider question, I think, in society that we face, you know, over the last 
40 years in a lot of the kind of the neoliberal shift in policies was away from universal benefits and this idea of targeting. And I think part of the problem with, with that is you start to lose, particularly people who are, you know, are, you know, called middle class or see themselves as middle class or, you know, whatever, are homeowners or, you know, increasingly renters who are working on high incomes actually are struggling as well. And, and that these, I think we need to shift yeah. back to universal services, which will also get people to see that actually there's a reason for this investment because there is this, you know, it's talked about the squeezed middle, but there is a reality that there is people on higher incomes who are really struggling to access because they're particularly with children because they're trying to afford to cover, you know, health costs that they don't get covered. And, you know, it might be, you know, psychological assessment for a child. They have to go private. It's all these huge costs. So I think there is that wider issue of, um, the need for these initiatives to become universal and for us to say, actually, these, these things should be universal. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're less likely to be cut in times of recession as well because yeah. they have a tendency to become very popular with the electorate. And then, I mean, the, the research will tell you that every every child benefits, but the most marginalised children will benefit the most. And yeah. I agree with you, Rory. Like, there are people, they don't feature in the child poverty statistics, but their incomes at the end of the month might be as low as someone who, who does feature in those statistics because yeah. it the, the rent is killing them or they've been hit with this unexpected cost, like a healthcare issue. Um, and so these these are like this is like a safety net in society helping these families get through the day. Yeah, absolutely. And like, and I hear it, you know, from friends and 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 uh, you know other parents who are, you know, struggling to try and cover costs of, as you say, like like you know they say their child needs a, you know, an assessment of something, and the the waiting lists are huge, and they have to go private or, um, and, and let's go on to mental health. Um, the whole issue, you know, in your report, you say. Um, in some areas, there's been little to no progress in mental health. The government committed to ending the admission of children to adult psychiatric units, but worrying and retrograde steps in this area have resulted in an E-grade representing um, the government taking the wrong direction or no positive impact on children. You said this is the third consecutive E-grade the government has received on this commitment and reflects the continued practice of admitting children to adult psychiatric units and the unacceptable rise in waiting lists for child and adolescent mental health services. And we know, of course, this issue is not just the waiting list with CAMS, but the actual services being delivered as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th this is one area where, it, th as you say, there's a retrograde step happening. So they committed in this programme for government to ending the admission of children to adult psychiatric units. And, I mean, this is really significant for children because when they're admitted to A&E, Usually, something very significant is happening for them, yeah. uh, and they're they're down the long road, you know, very serious eating disorder. They might be very seriously ill and need life saving treatment. Um, they might have self harmed, um, uh, or something very serious has happened at home. And what's concerning about this, I suppose, is that in the year about twelve children were still admitted to unit. That was a drop the previous year from twenty three. But what concerns the panel, we have an independent panel grading the report card. And the two things that concerned them was one, the numbers of beds available to children in these uh, child units where you have a right to be in a child unit if you need psychiatric care have fallen from about 70 to 50 due to staff shortages. 
and uh, the waiting lists of CAMs then growing around the same time and the government actually kind of moving to permanently plan for the admission of children in, in, into these units. I mean, I, I visited a family member in one of the adult units. I know they're all very different depending on the, the, the culture and the way they're organised. But the one I visited a family member in, it was it was a frightening experience for me. It's probably one of the worst ones. And, yeah. I, and I remember thinking, oh my God, a child has been admitted into this place. We have to do something ab- about it. So it's one of the most serious things really that would be happening for children, I think, in the, in the mental health area where the government really needs to ta- take action. And of course, the, the issue, as you say, is, you know, that, that number who are admitted into adult, but that fall into adult units, but the fall in the number of children's beds being available means that there's likely people not being admitted anywhere because it's you know just not appropriate for whatever age they are or situation circumstance they're in so you have a fall in 20 beds means you know over that year that there's a significant number of children not being able to access um psychiatric um care in terms of um yeah and it has affected. I didn't realize it had fallen I mean, it, by that much. Like that's, it, that's a huge yeah. drop from seventy yeah. beds to fifty yeah. beds. That's when you think yeah. the turnover there would be in a year in a bed, and that's very significant. Yeah, and the increase in the CSO stats, you know, seventeen percent increase in that age range in teen, you know, the twelve to to seventeen years. So the numbers of young 17% people in Ireland is growing. In, yeah, in terms of mental health, the numbers of young people between. Well, no, A, just general in the CSO, just so, just oh, sorry, in context. Oh, sorry, in terms so of the general population. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and this is all the services are dealing with the population increase, even Tusla is dealing with the, you know, a population increase. Um, but alongside that is obviously the effects of COVID, basically, and the 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 all, all the different lockdown restrictions. Yeah. And, the, you know, it did impact a lot of children and, and young people. And we're seeing that coming to the, fo- the fore in the last couple of years. And, and in terms of CAMS then, you know, how do you see that? Because we're, you know, we're seeing this heavily medicalised model being pushed on children and you know, the need for much broader, you know, therapeutic interventions and holistic interventions and early interventions. And there's a real need for major reform on the mental health services for children, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the 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 ultimate problem has been a failure to probably the state to plan and, you know, for the, the, the people we need to deliver the service, right? That's one of the lack of a workforce. I know uh, the government has a new national policy framework for children and young people and mental health is one of its priorities and lack of a workforce is one of its key targets. And the problem with that is it's years and it's the years, it's a years in the making when this happens and years to fix it. So, it's the young people today in school today. We need them to go and train into these professions so they can resolve this. Or we need people in, in, in careers to change career and to come into this space and we need to create opportunities for them. So like children will be listening, looking at the news and not realizing young people were not realizing actually we need them. <laughs> we need yeah. them to go and train into these professions to resolve this issue. But I think there's a big question around the running of the service overall. And there's questions around there aren't enough psychiatrists and they run the service. And, you know, it's a broad, you need a broad base of professions to 
to to respond to the needs of children and young people. And there's questions over should the is the psychiatric profession continue to be the ones that run it? Should it be another profession, etc.? So that bit I think needs to be worked out. I think they're, uh, they need they they need to look at the overall running of it. I think going forward. And finally, then Tanya, um, one of the most disgraceful and frustrating. Uh, issues of homelessness, child homelessness, which continues to rise. Um, we've seen a huge increase in the last year, two years, um, sorry, two years, over 60% increase in the number of children in just two years homeless with their families. Um, and I did some analysis there. And we still don't have a national fig- a figure for how many children have been to emergency um, accommodation in this country um, in recent years, I've made an estimate based on data that in the region of 17,000, uh, I can't remember exactly what I have the figures in the, did my recent report, 16 or 17,000 children. How, how did you, how did you work that out, Rory? It was based on the extrapolation of the numbers of families who present. They have no, they have figures for the number of families who present. Um, and we have the figures for Dublin and it's on average, there's about 2.1 children per family who present. And so it's extrapolated from the family, yeah. pre- the families who enter emergency accommodation, and extrapolated from Dublin as a um, Dublin is about seventy to eighty percent of of national figures of homelessness. So it's extrapolated from that there. So I calculate in the region of seventeen thousand children have been to emergency accommodation since twenty sixteen in this country, which is a massive, massive number. Like when we think of the numbers. Um, you know, that they have all been through a trauma and because I think sometimes like we hear 4,000 children and we're not really realizing that's 4,000, you know, that's a different 4,000 in a year's time. It's another different 4,000 in three years time who are going through this. And I still feel, Tanya, and I don't like you meet the policymakers and okay, they'll, and the government and the ministers and I just feel children are still invisible in terms of homelessness, in terms of priority. They're not a priority. Yeah, I mean, definitely there's a there's a wider issue I think with um with how the housing sector looks at got children and young people. The the thing I do want to point out, Rory, though, before I go into the big picture pieces, yeah. I mean, it, it is very dispiriting to see the increase of children in homeless accommodation. But one of the things that was very significant is to see the government's performance in preventing people entering homelessness actually improved. Over the mm. same period, you know, they. Uh, I, I think. I think that's important to keep a well, focus. I, I on would argue. I would argue. Why Tanya, did that happen? Just yeah. yeah. The prevention. The yeah. biggest preventive piece they could have done was extend the eviction ban, and they didn't. And they knew oh, yeah, families with, and children yeah, would have been yeah, evicted definitely. as a result. You know. So yes, you're right. There is massive work being done, particularly by threshold by you know the Dublin Homeless Regional Executive in, in directly intervening with yeah. families. But there's another stage again of prevention that could have been done. But anyway, sorry, continue. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And, and completely, I think I think if I was them, I just would have kept the eviction ban in place um, instead of, because instead that to get to a point where they normalise it. But I think the bigger question is, is, is who we build house, houses for. And something that has really struck us in the Children's Rights Alliance, because, of course, we're advocating for different things all the time. 
I think the problem is just incremental steps all the time. And you talk to officials uh, and I'm thinking about the last 10 years and, you know, I remember one particular official saying, don't worry, the student accommodation will be built. There's seven units in Dublin coming on stream. And then you'll see the international students will, will, will go into that accommodation. And then suddenly there'll be loads of rental of properties available. And I didn't believe it because I was like, really, you sure about that? Why yeah. would rich international students want to go into this shared type accommodation if they can if they can rent small apartments on, on their own? And of course, we know a lot of that was end up used up for tourists and accommodating tourist accommodation. And most students could never afford to avail of it. I think we need a complete rethink. Um, and I, I go back and I think about the Vienna model that's in place. Um, and that's something that we want to kind of think about in the Children's Rights Alliance because the Vienna model, um, and I know you're, you're, you're well aware of it, it, it actually plans its housing around the needs of children and women. And, and I think it's something like that. We need a complete rethink. Instead of planning around the wants and the, the needs and being beholden to developers, we need to turn it around in terms of how we develop and build our housing because, you know, everyone is working really hard. Everyone is dispirited by what's going. I mean, I, I'm meeting homeless campaigners and housing advocates and people on the front line. They're exhausted, actually. A lot of them are exhausted by what they see yeah. and they find it very, very hard to work with families going through this experience day in, day out. Um, I think we have to, we need a complete rethink in what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. I was just going through the figures there, Tanya, and um, it's it's essentially the numbers are 17,000 children experienced homelessness in emergency accommodation Ireland since 2016. Um, that's the number. And I also broke it down and went through the um, numbers of children. So the, the numbers of families who present as homeless. So not as you're saying there, so not all families who present um, go into emergency accommodation. It's about half of the number of families who present as homeless or who who will contact local authority or threshold under the the system and and say you know we're at risk of homelessness, um, or are on the brink of homelessness and are prevented, um, and so essentially if you double that number of seventeen thousand, you get to twenty eight thousand children would have experienced that level their family experienced severe housing trauma like that that is like you know if you're at the point where you're contacting a a local authority saying we're about to be evicted we're about to lose our home you you've been in stress for a long time your family have been and sometimes you know they're relocated as a result like that is a huge number Twenty eight thousand children who've experienced um severe housing trauma and i don't think and i still do feel that you know, when we look back at this period and, you know, we have direct provision and what's been done to children there, you know, we've we've the children, you know, traveller children who have been, you know, absolutely um, excluded and abandoned. It's even it, worse, the stuff that's happening for traveller children. It's even yeah. worse, though, the, yeah. the people in the unofficial halting sites, yeah. Yeah, but then we have this other group, which is children in emergency accommodation that essentially have been, um, I, I would argue, abandoned and... Um, you know, you could say services are providing, but structurally within policy, I don't see there's been no real acknowledgement of that traumatic impact and, and how being in emergency accommodation impacts on children. Yeah, I th- I think one of the re- reasons behind that is probably because this housing issue is split, you know, the responsibilities are split between housing and children. Department of Children probably concerned if we 
come in here, what will happen is housing won't do its job. Um, and and I, I, I think probably people rely too much on the parents, basically, and say, well, look, the parents are there to safeguard and protect their children. At least they have their parents to help them out. And, and, and I, I think sometimes we, we're asking too much of parents in these situations because they are very stressful parenting environments. So I, I remember when I was on, there was a particular government group looking at direct provision. This is back in 2014. And, you know, we were very concerned about families having to share accommodation with other people from around the world and it being, you know, very overcrowded. And, and when we went there, we asked the parents about it and they were like, actually, I am the main problem here. My mental health is so broken down I am a a danger to my own children and it was a real wake-up call because you put people through too much that in itself has a a, a real a real a real effect on children's lives like you're creating a toxic environment for children and it's not the parents fault because there's only so much the parents they're like as you say they've probably lived through five six years already of trying to uh, working through their savings trying to get through each year every day is a grind um and, and it's too much for a, lo- a lot of families at the end of the day so um I, I I think you're right I think you know does does you know international research that really tells us the impact that 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 housing poverty has on children um enormous effects on their emotional development huge like the, these children are going to have huge levels of anxiety for, uh, yeah. later on they might even know why but it's from the events that happened maybe when they're six or seven they're going to miss developmental milestones it's the shame of it it's been you know you know all of that is going to have a big effect on them the disruption on their education as well so I think you're right we're not doing enough to follow up these children and put the services in place to address what's happened um but I do think it's it's significant that there was a better effort to prevent people from entering homelessness this year. But, you know, what we're doing is it's just not at the scale that it needs to be. We're not building the big public uh, housing developments that we actually need at the scale we need to make sure that children are prevented from entering homelessness. And we're not dealing with rental costs. I mean, I saw the headlines again today about the 6.3% increase in rents in the last year. My God, that's telling you all this extra child poverty work the government is doing it's actually been undermined Done. by yeah. the increase in rent at the same time yeah yeah listen tanya war thank you so much for giving your time for coming on uh bringing us through you some of your report card and people can check it out um on the children's rights alliance uh website the report cards are up there uh children's thank you so much tanya and we will talk to you soon again hopefully thanks so much and listeners, as always, we are an independent podcast produced by Tony Go Groves. Tony Goves. Tony Goves. That's Close nice. enough. Close enough. Um, <laughs> before, he, before he plugs the Patreon, I will draw your attention, folks, to the links that are in the bottom of this podcast. We Obviously, we would love you to join us, but we are currently fundraising for people who are struggling in Rafa and in Gaza. The links are in the bottom. It is a wonderful... Um, initiative by people who I know who are doing wonderful things and it's very 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 uh, fulfilling to see smiling faces of children so even if you don't want to even if you can't chip in click the link and you'll see the the, the lives of children who are being made better by some of the friends and voices that you'd have heard on this podcast over the last number of years I really 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 can't stress enough how grateful I am to the Tortoise Shack community for helping us keep some people 
some people getting a little bit of food and a little bit of uh, a little bit of a smile. So, so thank you for everybody who has. Yeah. No, I just I absolutely second that, Tony. And just in terms of when we speak of children, you know, and what is going on there in Gaza, what has happened, the genocide. It's just just horrific beyond belief, and it is amazing the work you're doing. And and if people can go over to um, those links and help out. Um, and just one other thing is is the uh, Lakela um, Diversity Not Hate uh, March is March 3rd um, in Dublin. And please, people, come out, uh, Ireland for All. We had a great march last year, really important intervention. There's some really good work done by the Hope and Courage Collective and others. We need to keep building that.